Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning we are in a series called I Want to Believe But. And how many of you know that when you take a look at around our world today, uh, that there's a lot of things that can cause us to struggle to have faith in the Lord. There's a lot of things. We say, you know, I want to believe, but there's just some obstacles, suffering, you know, things like we see, and it's hard for us to kind of understand the, what's happening even with our, with our brother Gary and others, Lord, who, who, have, who have gotten diagnosed with certain things or have experienced certain tragedies. We go, Lord, I, I want to believe, but how? how? How do you, why do you let these things happen? experience brokenness in families and earthquakes and, and, and we see uh, tropical storms and things coming like they're hitting New Orleans right now and again being walloped and you say, Lord, I, I want to believe, but there's just so much of these things. How do I believe in a God who is gracious and who is loving and who is kind? How, how can I believe that, that, is, that, that God is loving and he's gracious and merciful when, when there's so much tragedy? When there's so many things that come up, and you know, it's one thing to hear about an earthquake somewhere else. It's one thing to hear about a tropical storm, and you go, oh, that's terrible. It's another thing when it happens to you. We can believe, and we, and, and we, we believe, and we go, oh, Lord, be with those people. But then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes your life. Something happens to you, and immediately, all of a sudden, our faith becomes something, somewhat of a challenge. And we go, Lord, I want to believe, but how? You know, I've shared the, the story, for those of you that have been with us here, I've shared the story over and over again, but I went through a period of time where I struggled in my faith. Jamie and I were, were youth pastoring in Youngstown, Ohio, uh, and, uh, and we were there at a church, and, and, uh, and, and we were so excited because we, we heard the news that uh, Jamie was pregnant, and we were so, because we were so excited we, we couldn't wait, and then we found out we were having twins. And uh, man, we went through uh, eight months of, a, of the nine-month pregnancy, and, uh, and then all of a sudden went to the doctor, and only one of the, uh, the baby's heartbeat had a heartbeat. And so we were extremely joyful and continue to be with our son Caleb, and yet at the same time, we were just really struck by the grief of our son Noah, who we didn't get to, to raise. And youth, Pat, we had given our lives to serve the Lord. We had gone to Bible college, Lord, we're serving you, we're giving everything to serve you, and why did, why, why are you letting this happen? And, and I got to be honest with you, we struggled a little bit. I know personally, I, I went through a very dark time where I was wrestling, I was preaching some things as a youth pastor, I'm up there preaching in front of teenagers to have faith, but behind the scenes, I was struggling myself. Lord, I want to believe, but how could you let, how could you be loving and let this happen? Why didn't you answer? Why, why didn't you do this? And you know, I think that sometimes every one of us has a story. There are times where this thing happens to us and, and we pray and, 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 and God doesn't grant the request that, that, we, that we think is so vitally important. And, and you know, the world seems to fall off its axis. Panic stalks our soul and death kind of hangs in, in, in the balance. A pounding heart kind of betrays some anxiety that we're experiencing within. And we're saying to ourselves, where is God? Where are you in this? 
I thought you loved me. Where are you in this? Where are you? I want to serve you with an abandoned heart, but how can I when this kind of stuff happens? How can I begin to trust your goodness when I see this and when you allow this in my life? You know, uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall, he's a gifted senior minister at Westminster Chapel in London, and, and he said that, that oftentimes what we go through is something that leads directly to what he calls the betrayal barrier, the betrayal barrier. I was reading one of his books, and he wrote this, in his opinion, 100% of believers eventually go through a period when God lets them down. The person loses his job, his child becomes ill, a business, uh, business reverses occur, or maybe after serving him faithfully for many years, life starts to unravel. It makes no sense. It seems so unfair. And the natural reaction is to say, Lord, is this the way you treat your own? Anybody ever asked that question before? Yeah. You know, I thought you cared about me. I, I, I thought you were loving. I don't understand what's wrong. And we bail out before the pieces start to fit together. Forever after, we're disillusioned and hurt. And Dr. Kendall said that more than 90% of us fail to break through the betrayal barrier after feeling abandoned by God. 90%. Our faith then is hindered by a bitter experience that we can't forget. That we can't forget. You see, the betrayal barrier is that period of time when God seems to let the believer down. When God seems to let you down, you feel betrayed. You know, you're not alone in feeling this way. If you've ever felt this way, you're not alone. You know, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that even some of those who are in the hall of faith, those who we look at as pillars of the faith experienced times where they struggled and had to try to break through this betrayal barrier. This betrayal barrier. Like, how, how can we do this? I, I don't understand your will. I don't understand your plans. How can I understand Romans 8.28 that, that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose? How is this good? How does this work out for my purpose? And, and, and we struggle with those things. We look at Paul and we go, how could you write something like that? And we struggle with the betrayal barrier. Jeremiah, it meant... Being in a cast dark dungeon. For someone like Jody Erickson Tata, it meant being in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. For others, it was death, poverty, the scorn of society. And yet through it all, in each of those situations, God had a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose. He does. He has a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose. Scripture depicts God as infinitely loving and tenderly kind. That's the way that, that Scripture depicts the Lord, that, that he, he watches over his earthly children. He, he watches over the people of his pasture. That, that God came, that while we were yet sinners, when we were still sinners, God loved us so much and demonstrated that love, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That for God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The picture of God as a loving God, and yet at the same time, we look around. How do we reconcile those things? Isaiah conveyed this message directly to us from the heart of the Father in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, the problem is not the love and the mercy of God. That's not the problem. The problem is with the questions that come. How do we reconcile those things? 
Let me give you a few other examples of people who struggled with this betrayal barrier. People that you, you, you might not think about. How many of you think Moses is a pretty good example of someone of faith? Think of Moses. Here's Moses. You know, Moses had failed, and yet God showed up at the, at the burning bush, and he said, listen, I'm going to use you. I haven't, I haven't stopped. I'm still going to use you. You, you, you. I had a plan for you back then, and, and you know what? It's taken some time for you to wander in the wilderness, but now's my time. Now I'm ready, and I'm going to use you because I'm the God of second chances. Amen? I'm going to use you. And Moses says, no, 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 no. My time has passed. I can't speak. I can't do that. You know how Moses does, excuse after excuse. I, I can't. And finally, he resolves himself, and God says, no, you're going to go, all right? And he goes, okay, I'm going to go, right? And so what does he do? He, he, he goes along, and uh, he tells the Israelites, listen, God has heard your cries. God has heard your prayers. He's spoken to me. We're going to go to Pharaoh. And God, I'm going to tell Pharaoh, you know what? We need to go worship God. Let my people go. It's time. And so what they do? They rejoice. It said this in Exodus 4.31. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen the misery, they bowed down and worshiped him. Man, God has heard our prayer. Woohoo! Right? We have been suffering and God has heard us. Yes! <laughs> right? So what does Moses do? Moses goes into Pharaoh and he says, listen, the, the, this is what the Lord said. The Lord has sent me here. It's time. Let my, let my people go. That's what the Lord says. And you would think Pharaoh would go, yeah, okay, well, if you say so. If you say so, that's not what Pharaoh did. We all know that, right? We all know the, the story. In fact, Pharaoh in Exodus 5, 6 through 9 gave the order of the slave drivers and overseers charge of the people. You no longer are to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy, and that's why they're crying out, let us go sacrifice through our God. Make the work harder so the, for, for the people that they'll keep working and pay no attention to lies. Friends, this is not how it was supposed to go, right? Let my people go. The deliverer is here. He's, God has heard our cry. Hey, wait a minute. Now things have just gotten harder. Now things have just gotten harder. The people feel betrayed. Uh, chapter 5, 20 to 21, when, when, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting for them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Notice, they're not blaming God. Who are they blaming? They're blaming Moses. They're blaming Aaron. They're saying, you did this to us. You did this to us. So what does Moses do? Moses is feeling a little betrayed. He said, wait a minute, God. I didn't want this assignment to begin with, all right? I, I was reluctant. I didn't want this assignment. I, I didn't want this to begin with. Nevertheless, I obeyed you. You told me to go. I spoke what you told me to say, and this is how it's turning out? Exodus 5, 22 and 23, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses is feeling betrayed. Lord, I trusted you. I followed you. I'm obeying you. What are you doing? Sometimes when we're obeying the Lord and, and things aren't going the way we think, we can get betrayed and we can begin to struggle with our faith. Another example is John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, he was a forerunner of Jesus, right? John the Baptist, a forerunner of Jesus. He, he's the one that saw Jesus coming and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many of you know that's a faith statement right there? Because Jesus was his cousin, you know? And, and he's like, no, I'm, I, I prepare the way of the wilderness, you know? And he says, I myself not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Man, that is faith. 
he, he impassionately called the people, you know what? Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. All right, this is John the Baptist, Matthew eleven eleven. 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. No one has risen, not one has risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying when it comes to faith, when it comes to John the Baptist, John the Baptist is one of the ones that is up there. All right, he is up there. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist finds himself in Herod's prison, facing the possibility of beheading, facing the possibility of death, and he's in, he's in prison. And what does he do while he's in prison? He sends two of his disciples to question Jesus. Luke seven twenty. when men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Whoa! What happened? What happened to he must increase, I must decrease? What happened? I'm not even able to, to untie his sandals. What happened to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What happened to that kind of faith? I'll tell you what happened to that kind of faith. Prison happened to what kind of faith? When he's sitting in prison and he's not being delivered, when he's sitting in prison and all of a sudden he's not being freed, when he's sitting in prison and he's going, how is this going to end? Wait a minute, I've got a message, I've got a purpose to proclaim, how is this going to end? And when he's in there and the prayers aren't being answered the way he thinks and it's not turning out the way he wants, all of a sudden even John the Baptist goes through a time where he's feeling a bit betrayed and struggling in his faith. If John the Baptist struggles in his faith, if Moses struggles in his faith, then you and I, when we struggle sometimes with this, we're in good company. We're in good company. I think it's, it, it's important to see how Jesus responded. Because it's really, Jesus, when he replied to the message, he said, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Notice what he doesn't say. Because what Jesus doesn't say is as important as what he says. We can amen and rejoice about what he says. The good news is proclaimed. The lame walk. Oh, they're healed. Hallelujah. But here's what he doesn't say. You're going to be delivered from this trial. You're going to be rescued. Jesus didn't promise relief. That's a, that's a hard thing for us to, to reconcile. He doesn't promise relief. What, what do you mean? That's, relief is not a part of, of, of your plan. He says, no, I, I, I want you to just have faith in me. You got to trust me. You got to trust my sovereign hand. You got to trust that I'm good even when your feelings betray. Even when the trial betrays, you've got to learn how to trust in me. Man, there were a lot of early Christians. Most of the those who followed Jesus, man, they experienced persecution. They experienced trouble. Stephen, Stephen was stoned. James, the brother of John, was put to death by the sword. Tradition tells us that 10 out of the 12 uh, disciples were executed. Uh, and and, and they, they tell us about this. And John, John uh, was, was boiled in oil and exiled to the island of Patmos. I mean, they experienced trouble. Paul was persecuted, stoned, flogged, and later beheaded in a Roman prison. And here's how, how Hebrews 11 says, others were tortured and refused to be relief, uh, re released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were, they were, uh, they were put to the death by the sword. They went, on, uh, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert 
deserts and mountains and caves and in holes in the ground. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Boy, Pastor, you're really preaching an encouraging message today. You see that list? Well, that just really goes against what I heard on TV today when they were preaching. Sorry. <laughs> In America, we got, we got a few of those that want to ignore these passages of Scripture and they want to read all the others. We get betrayed. What is that? And yet they received what they had been, what they received, they were commended yet hadn't received what had been promised. There was an anticipation of a promise, but they hadn't yet experienced it. You know what? Jesus has promised us that he's coming back, that he's going to return, and yet there are some of us that are tasting what happens with the wages of sin that is death. We're experiencing the problems and the brokenness of the sinfulness of this world and the brokenness of sinful people, and yet we're still experiencing that here, and yet at the same time we look with faith and we say, but wait a minute, he has promised me eternal life. There is more than just what is here there is eternal life and there's an adjustment of perspective that has to happen when we begin to feel as if we've been betrayed by God how do we how do we do this so let me give you five truths maybe to help you if you're wrestling with the betrayal barrier I want to give you five quick truths today some things that that scripture talks about that might be something that can help you as you wrestle through this let me tell you something nobody's going to be able to fix it for you I'm not giving you a prescription I'm giving you tools all right, there's no prescription that's gonna, that's gonna get through. You are in the sovereignty of God and you've gotta wrestle through your own faith. You've gotta wrestle with it on your own. Number one, God always has a purpose in your pain. God always has a purpose in your pain. Whenever you're hurting, whenever you're hurting, you've gotta trust God's got a purpose. God is working. We already read Romans 8, but listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 6, uh, verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice now, Though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the, that, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise and the glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's a purpose. Peter says there's a purpose. There's a refining purpose. There's a, there's a genuine purpose. There's a, there's a result that, that God receives glory and praise and honor even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the trial. God receives glory. There's a purpose in your pain. We, we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday, and I was talking a little bit about a, a silversmith and, and, and just hearing about the silversmith, and the silversmith has to put the silver in the fire. And as he puts the silver in the fire, he, he says, you know what, I can't, I can't take it out too early or it's not pure and I can't leave it in too long or it'll be destroyed. And so they, the interviewer asked the silversmith, said, hey, how do you know when it's just right? How do you know when it's just right? And he says, I got to look intently. I got to look intently at it. I can't, I got to, I'm watching it. It's in there. It's in the fire. And, and I got to watch it. I, again, I don't want to be too early. I don't want to be too late. Well, how do you know? As I'm looking when I can see my reflection then I know it's ready. And that's what God is doing in each and every one of us. James talks about it, that in the trials, I want you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why? Because he wants us to reflect his glory. And through the trials and through the pain and through the difficulty, there is purpose as we are being refined so that we reflect the glory of God. <laughs> reflect the glory of God. 
Secondly, God is present in our lives even when he seems absent. We talked a little bit about this in week two. How can I believe when I don't feel God? How can I believe when God seems distant? How how do I do that? You know, oftentimes that becomes a, a source of disillusionment. We feel abandoned by God. Part of the betrayal is we feel as if maybe God has left us or God has abandoned us. I think John the Baptist was feeling a little bit like that. He was, he was feeling a, a little bit as if it was, man, I, I don't understand. How, how is this? A little disillusion in his faith. And how many of you know that when something is happening in your body or when you're being attacked in your emotions, you're being attacked in your mind, it has a tendency to affect you spiritually as well. We, we are connected and, and it, it affects us all the way around. But we need to begin to understand that, that, that Scripture has something very different to say than our feelings. How many of you know feelings can betray us? Your feelings are unsteady. I can feel one way this moment, but then let new information come, and all of a sudden feelings take me in a whole other direction. Our, our feelings betray us. Feelings are like the waves of the ocean. They come in and they crest and we think they're going to freeze there, but they don't. They recede. And if we give ourselves some time, if you've ever been in an argument with somebody, maybe your spouse and you're going back and there's just height of emotion, if you will just give yourself a moment, let's take a time out, let's walk away, and, and you begin to walk away and you begin, the perspective comes. You let the feeling subside and all of a sudden you'll be able to, to, to let the Lord speak to you. Here, here's, we, we can never assume that God's silence or apparent inactivity is evidence of his disinterest. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what Scripture, here's what Scripture says. We've got to take the foundation, not from our emotions, but on the authority of God's word. How many know the authority of God's word has to dictate what we, where we're at? Our feelings betray us, but God's word never will. And here's what God's word says, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus promised never to leave. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Proverbs 18, 24, he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 1 Peter 3, 12, we're assured the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. And Psalm 139, 7 to 10, David who had wandered around in caves and all kinds of different things, being hunted down by Saul, he himself feeling a little bit betrayed at times, said this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Friends, God's word says that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. We need to understand as believers that Jesus Christ is near even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't feel it. Soren Kierkegaard said, faith is holding on to uncertainties with passionate conviction. Thirdly, God's timing is perfect even when he appears catastrophically late. Have you ever thought God's late? Have you ever thought that before? <laughs> hey, God, I'm praying. You could answer right now. What's happening? Yeah, come on, Lord. You know, uh, w- what's going on? I'll, I'll always, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, there, there's always one story that comes to my mind over and over. I know I've, if you've been here for any length, you know I've, I've shared this before, but I, I got to share it again because it just is a, a good picture, I think, of what happens when we think Jesus is late. How many remember that there was Mary and Martha and, and, and Lazarus? They were good friends of Jesus, right? 
Jesus would stop by their house. Jesus would have dinner. You know, Mary sitting at their feet. Martha like, hey, hey, hey. And Jesus had a teacher about, you know, just lingering in the presence of the Lord a little bit. Well, you know, their brother Lazarus got sick. He got sick. So what did they do? We got a good friend in Jesus. He's going around healing the lame, opening the eyes of the blind, right? That, I mean, that's Jesus, right? We're going to call to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, and this is what they say, your friend Lazarus is sick. Your friend Lazarus is sick. Now, John 11, where this passage is at in verse 5, says that Jesus loved Martha, and he loved Mary. He loved Martha and, and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. The Bible says that he loved them, and yet what we see in this says, whoa, 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 that doesn't seem a whole lot of love. Why? Because when, when they come out and they say, Jesus, your, your friend, the one you love, Lazarus is sick, Jesus goes, okay, this will not end in death. And you know what he does? He waits. The Bible says he waited two more days, that he waited. Now, I don't know about you, but when I pray, I want Jesus to come and heal now. But in this, Jesus is waiting. He's waiting. He waited so long that Lazarus ended up dying and putting it, put in a tomb and wrapped up, and he was dead in the tomb four days. Four days later, all of a sudden, Jesus arrives on the scene during a time of mourning. And, and, and Mary and Martha, they, they, they kind of have a, a betrayal feel, feel a little bit. Martha declares in, in verse 11, 21, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the betrayal in there? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. We thought you loved us. You heal everybody else. Why didn't you come when we called? Why weren't you here when we called? You know, but uh, that's Martha. You know, Martha's the, the worker. What about Mary? I mean, she sat at Jesus' feet, right? What about, what about Mary? Well, verse 32, Mary's, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I know, we like to read it all like, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if it was like that. Mary was an emotional one, right? She, she was definitely the emotional one. I don't think it was like that. If you'd been here... My brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? How come you didn't show up? He says, you loved us. How come you didn't show up? How many have ever felt like that before? Lord, you're, God, why aren't you answering? We've been praying and praying and praying and praying. This situation isn't getting any better. It's getting worse. If you would show up, it would be a lot better. Where are you? And there's this betrayal that happens. There's this betrayal that's going on. And yet at the same time, God's plans were bigger. His ways were higher. And Mary and Martha couldn't see the bigger picture, but Jesus did. Jesus did. They couldn't see how this was a part of God's plan, but Jesus did. And an amazing miracle happened four days later when Jesus spoke and said, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Four days later, what they thought was dead was not dead because Jesus is the author of life. And even when you think he's catastrophically late, he's not because he can breathe life into your situation when you think it's past. He can breathe life into it. And that's what he did because his timing is always perfect. Fourthly, we're precious to God. We're precious to God. Job, Job, you know all the stuff Job suffered, right? Job 7, 17, and 18. He said this, why do you make people so important and give them so much attention? You examine them every morning and test them every moment. The New Century Version, I like the way it says that. David contemplated the same question, Psalm 8, 4, in the New Century Version. But why are people even important to you? 
Why do you take care of human beings? Why? God, you're, so, you're just God. Why do you take care of people? Luke eleven thirteen. 13, even if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And in Psalm 103, 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We may feel betrayed. We may feel as if God is heartless, but I'm going to tell you something. God is not heartless. God loves you. God loves you. You are precious to him. He knows every hair on your head. He knows who you are. You are his. You are his. You are precious to him. In spite of how we feel about God when we're experiencing pain and suffering, the truth throughout Scripture is that we are precious to God and that he deeply cares for us. Fifthly, let me just tell you this, because there's a wrestling in the betrayal barrier, but your arms are too short to box with God. All right? There's a wrestling, but I'm just going to tell you at some point you're going to have to surrender. At some point, you're going to have to surrender. At some point, you're going to have to come to that. Otherwise, you're going to get a hard heart that's going to take you away from the Lord. You can't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. There's a wrestling. You can wrestle a little bit. God doesn't mind your questions. God doesn't mind your questions as long as you don't mind his answer. There are some people that want to question God, but they don't want to listen long enough to get the answer. How do I know that? Because let's go back to Job for a moment. Man, Job, Job was feeling as if he was betrayed by God. The Bible declares that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous person. It'll mess with your theology. You read the beginning of Job when it says that Satan is coming through the presence of the Lord. Somehow that messes with my theology too. And God says, have you considered my, my servant Job? It wasn't Satan that brought up Job to God. It was God that brought up Job and said, hey, here's my servant. There's this testing. And here's Job. Job's trying to figure this out. Like, what is going on? I'm a righteous person. And so what does he do? He begins to stand in his righteousness. And so he's trying to figure this out, and he's got his friends questioning him, and he begins to question God, and here's his defense. Here's just a sample. Job 29, 12 to 18, New Living Translation. For I assisted the poor in their need, and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope, and they blessed me. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe, and I wore justice like a turban. I served as the eyes of the blind and the feet of the lame. I was a father to the poor. I assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of the godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. I thought, surely, I will die surrounded by my family after a long, good life. How many think that's a pretty good defense? There are people today who go, man, Job was a good person. Look at that. Job was a good person. And that was his defense. He starts listing his goodness. I helped the widows. I, I, I was fine. You know what? And I lost my family. And I thought I'd be surrounded. I thought I'd live a long life. My family would be surrounded by me. And it's just not happening. And I don't understand because I demand an answer. These are all the things I've done. In fact, in Job 31, after another listing of all the righteous reasons he didn't deserve the pain and the suffering, he demanded an answer from the Lord. And here's Job 31. 5 through 35 and 37, if someone would only listen to me, look, I'll sign my name to my defense. This is Job. Let the Lord Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I'd face the accusation proudly. I'd wear it like a crown, for I would tell him exactly what I have done, and I'd come before him like a prince. Job is pretty confident. He's confident in his defense. He is boxing with God, and I am confident in my righteousness and in my defense. And then God shows up. And he says, brace yourself. Here it is, Job 38. 
And then we're going to 41 and 42. I'm going to mix them up a little bit. Job 38, excuse me, 2 through 7. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? This is God. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Listen, you want me to answer your questions? You answer a few of mine first. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out? Uh, excuse me, where were you when I laid the fountain? Tell me if you know who determined its dimensions, stretched out the surveying line, who supports its foundation, who laid its cornerstone on the morning stars and sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. And then in, in Job 40 and verse 2, do you still want to, you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? <laughs> Friends, there are sometimes we want to box with God, but I'm going to tell you, just like Job, brace yourself. Brace yourself because you don't know what God knows. And you don't see what God sees. And God loves you. And God loved Job. And God worked in Job's life. But, but God said, you want to box with me? Okay. Uh, you answer some of my questions. Listen, our arms are too short to box with God. We're going to wrestle with some things. But hopefully, like Jacob, we wrestle with some things, and we wrestle to the point where we walk away changed. You can wrestle with God as long as you wrestle to the point where you're willing to listen and hear what he's telling you and hear what he wants to do so that you walk away changed. When Jacob wrestled with God, he walked away with a limp, but he also walked away with a new name. And when you wrestle with God, God's going to do some things. He'll change some things in you if you will let him. But understand, you will not win if you box with God. Do not harden your heart. Open up your heart so that you can reply like Job did, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So we'll land the plane. If we truly understood the majesty of the Lord and if we truly understood the depth of his love, we would certainly accept those times when what he does defines our human logic and our human sensibilities. It's getting a bigger picture of God. It's diving in and getting a bigger picture of God. You're going to have some confusing experiences. You're going to have some times when you experience a betrayal. And I want to tell you that you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. But don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Begin to see what Scripture says. Begin to hang on to the foundations and the truth of what Scripture says. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. And don't let your heart get hardened. But rather say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And though you slay me, I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust you. Satan's most effective tool is to get you to doubt God's love and his mercy. And you've got to stay in the word and you've got to stay in the body to find that encouragement in those times where you're struggling in your faith. You don't base it on emotions. You base it on God's word. And in God's word, he says, I love you and I've got a plan and I've got a purpose. And if you will trust me, you will see through on the other side that I am good, that I am good, that I am good, and I am working for your good. And I've got a purpose in all of this. See, on the other side, there awaits a promise of hope and joy for those who believe and do not give up. The Bible calls it perseverance. So I want to pray. 
Because I know there might be some of you that are going through. In fact, I know there are some of you that are going through some things. I know there are some of you, you're going through some things, and, and you just need a touch from the Lord. So I want us to bow our heads this morning. Jesus, 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 all across this place. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So you're here and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm going through some things and I've just been struggling in my faith. I'm struggling in some way and I need, I need prayer. I need encouragement today. I, I need encouragement for my faith. Will you slip up your hand today? Come on, I need prayer. I've been going through some things. Yeah, all over, all over. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Lord, we know that you are good. We can't always see your goodness. We can't always understand your ways. We don't always know what you're doing, but Lord, we know that you love us, and we know that you suffered and you died for us, and we know, Lord Jesus, that you're there for us even when we can't feel you, when we feel abandoned, we know that you are there. Father, I pray an encouragement right now, an encouragement for all of those who are struggling today to believe, all of those that are struggling in their faith because their circumstances just aren't matching up. They're wrestling, Lord, wondering, what, why, why, why? Oh, God, move right now. Speak and courage. Let them see, Lord, that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're in the fire with them. Let them see, Lord, that, that you are with them. You never leave us or forsake us. That God, you will give the strength and the courage to persevere and to stand in the midst, knowing that you've got a plan on the other side. Oh, God, I just speak life into this body right now. I speak life and faith in the name of Jesus, encouragement in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, why don't we stand? And we're just going to sing once again about the goodness of the Lord. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.